You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. Pro-Russian DDoS attacks, sanctions and their effect on ransomware, Black Cat wants $5 million from Corinthia, a fraudster pressures Verizon, Stain will tighten judicial review of intelligence services, Johannes Ulrich looks at VSTO office files. Our guests are Cecilia Marinier and Nilu Howe with a preview of the RSAC Innovation Sandbox. And CISA releases ICS advisories and, with its partners, issues guidelines for evaluating 5G implementation. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, May 27, 2022. Microsoft cautions in an NPR interview not to dismiss the cyber phases of Russia's hybrid war as inconsequential. There has been no shortage of attempted disruption of Ukrainian networks since shortly before the Russian invasion began. Imperva offers a timeline of distributed denial-of-service attacks conducted in the Russian interest by nominally hacktivist organizations. Killnet is the most notable of those groups— Imperva's timeline shows Killnet's development. The gang first appeared on January 23rd as Russia was preparing its invasion of Ukraine. On the 28th of February, four days after the Russian invasion began, Killnet issued a call to arms seeking to rally hackers in Russia and the Commonwealth of Independent States to the Russian cause. Along with that call was an invitation to subscribe to the Telegram channel of the Cyber Army of Russia, the better to follow Killnet's exploits. Since then, Killnet has conducted various distributed denial-of-service attacks against easily accessible targets of opportunity. On April 20th, the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency included Killnet in a list of Russian criminal groups that posed a potential threat to infrastructure. Hacktivist, privateer, or simply a deniable group operated by Russian intelligence or security services, Killnet's targeting has been varied, 
but its activities haven't risen above a nuisance level. DDoS is easy to attempt, but it's proving difficult to conduct with significant effect. Ransomware operations appear to be on the way to becoming collateral damage in the sanctions that have been imposed on Russia. CPO Magazine, citing recent remarks by NSA Cybersecurity Director Rob Joyce, describes the ways in which controls on bank transfers and other remittance mechanisms have inhibited payments to ransom gangs. They say ransom payments are more difficult to process due to lack of access to assorted banking options and inability to purchase necessary technology to set up the infrastructure for new ransomware campaigns. Collateral damage in this case may be wayward as a description of what's going on, since the effect, while not directly intended, isn't unwelcome either. Call it a side benefit. Call it gravy. The Austrian state of Carinthia, under ransomware attack by the Black Cat Gang, also known as ALF-V, and which is a rebranding of Dark Side or Black Matter, since Tuesday, according to Bleeping Computer, has received a ransom demand. Black Cat wants $5 million to restore access to systems its attack disrupted. Corinthian authorities say that its public-facing websites are down and that passport administration, collection of fines, and processing of COVID tests are among the services that have been affected. They've found no evidence that Black Cat succeeded in stealing data, and indeed none of the usual teasers have been posted to the gang's dump site. Corinthia does not intend to pay the ransom, and its services are beginning restoration today. Verizon has confirmed to Vice that a scammer has contacted the phone company with a claim to have accessed sensitive internal data. Specifically, the scammer said they'd obtained an internal corporate employee database, which they threatened to release if they weren't paid a $250,000 bounty. Verizon told Vice... A fraudster recently contacted us, threatening to release readily available employee directory information in exchange for payment from Verizon. We do not believe the fraudster has any sensitive information, and we do not plan to engage with the individual further. As always, we take the security of Verizon data very seriously, and we have strong measures in place to protect our people and systems. The U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency has released two industrial control system advisories. The AP reports that Spain will increase judicial supervision of its intelligence agencies after investigation revealed abuse of NSO Group intercept tools for domestic surveillance. The AP writes, The Spanish government will tighten judicial control over the country's intelligence agency, Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez said Thursday, weeks after the agency admitted it had spied on several pro-independent supporters in the region of Catalonia with judicial authorization. The country's National Intelligence Center, or CNI, has been under fire since April after Canada-based digital rights group Citizen Lab alleged that the phones of more than 60 Catalan politicians, lawyers, and activists had been hacked with controversial spyware. The CNI later acknowledged in a closed-door meeting with Spanish lawmakers that it had hacked into the cell phones of some of those politicians. Finally, as U.S. federal agencies move, like other organizations, toward 5G technology, CISA and its partners in the Department of Homeland Security's Science and Technology Directorate and the Office of the Undersecretary of Defense for Research and Engineering have released version one of its 5G security evaluation process investigation. 
It outlines a five-step process organizations should follow as they implement 5G. Step 1 calls for a use case definition to identify 5G subsystems that are part of the system, component configurations, applications, and interfaces involved in the operation of the system. In Step 2, agencies should define the boundary to identify the technologies and systems requiring assessment and authorization, taking into consideration the ownership and deployment of the products and services that comprise the use case. The third step, after determining the scope of the assessment, is to perform a threat analysis of each 5G subsystem with a view to mitigating the risks associated with it. At step four, an agency should consult relevant federal security guidelines and create a catalog of that guidance. And finally, in the fifth step, the agency applies the guidelines, identifies any gaps in security guidance, or ways to address them. It seems a common-sense approach with an appropriately bureaucratic bent, but CISA hopes that it will provide an approach that's both uniform and flexible. CISA invites feedback, and the deadline for comment is June 27th. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. One of the highlights of the upcoming RSA conference in San Francisco is the RSAC Innovation Sandbox Contest, which puts 10 promising security companies in front of a panel of judges and a live audience in hopes of winning the title Most Innovative Startup. As part of the CyberWire's media partnership with RSAC, I spoke with Cecilia Marinier, 
Program Director for Innovation from RSAC, and Nilu Hao, Senior Operating Partner with Energy Impact Partners and one of this year's judges. We hear first from Cecilia. So the RSA Conference Innovation Sandbox Contest actually started in 2005. It has been ongoing with one-year exception uh, from 2005 to today. So we've had 17 years of selecting top innovators in our field. And the goal of the contest is to actually celebrate what's happening in innovation. We see a lot of uh, adversaries innovating. Well, we have a lot of amazing people on, on the positive side also innovating. And this one, this competition actually is very competitive and it selects the top companies that are bringing out some highly important innovation in our field. Nilu, you are uh, on board as one of the judges this year. Uh, what attracts you to the Innovation Sandbox? Why, do, why is this something that you choose to participate in? It's an incredible opportunity to uh, spend time with entrepreneurs, uh, people who are really going after the leading edge problems in cyberspace, hear them out. And I'll tell you, being a judge is incredibly hard because we get um, you know, when we start with uh, over 100 companies and trying to select down to the top 10, there are so many amazing entrepreneurs in our in our space. Every year, uh, we duke it out because um, there's there's amazing people, there's amazing solutions, there's really big problems. Some of them are problems that have been there for a while. Some of them are are newer problems as as technology innovates and and we transform. Um, but it's just a remarkable opportunity to spend time thinking about these problems and speaking with the entrepreneurs. Cecilia, you know, beyond the, uh, the innovation sandbox itself, there's also uh, the early stage startup area at uh, the RSA conference. Can you give us uh, some insights on that? So the early stage expo is situated on the second floor in Moscone South, and it will host 35 different companies. They'll have 17 briefing sessions in the space. And it's just a very cool area. It has a lot of companies that are coming from outside the U.S., which is also really nice um, to kind of see what the breadth of what's happening outside the outside of our country. But um, that area is interesting. I would also recommend that the other thing that we're doing on our 365 is this innovation showcase where we partner with venture capitalists and each month celebrate innovation in different parts of the globe. Um, and that's something else people who are interested in innovation should be following. If, they're, if they want to follow it, it's great. Nilo, I, I want to give you the, the last word here. I mean, for, for folks who are coming to the conference who perhaps have never attended the actual Innovation Sandbox event, uh, make your pitch here. Why is this something in a, in a busy week that they should carve out their time to uh, include on their schedule? We are going to have 10 incredible entrepreneurs that are thinking about leading edge uh, technology issues in the cybersecurity domain. Get on stage, make a fast pitch, uh, get ganged up on uh, by a, a, you know, a series of seasoned judges, and they'll get a great sense of what it's like to pitch and to be questioned um, and, uh, uh, and also get a really good, broad sense of what's happening in the community. So it's a really fun, fast-paced, uh, high-energy uh, event. It's my favorite event, uh, whether to watch or, or be a judge or participate in. That's Cecilia Marinier from RSAC and Nilu Hao from Energy Impact Partners. This year's Innovation Sandbox competition takes place Monday, June 6th, in Moscone South. There's a lot more to this conversation. 
If you want to hear more, head on over to CyberWire Pro and sign up for Interview Selects, where you get access to this and many more extended interviews. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. I'm pleased to be joined once again by Johannes Ulrich. He is the Dean of Research at the Sands Technology Institute and also the host of the ISC Stormcast podcast. Um, Johannes, you and I have uh, talked many times about uh, the issues with macros within Microsoft Office files. Uh, I know there's some stuff you've been tracking along these lines lately. Well, what's the latest? Yeah, so macros, of course, are still, I think, the predominant way how malware enters uh, Windows systems these days. But it's getting more difficult. Uh, Microsoft made it more difficult to use macros. And you know, some users actually caught on to the idea that whenever they open a macro, their system gets encrypted. Uh, so uh, <laughs> there are some correlations here that, uh, that show up sometimes. But it uh, turns out that with macros kind of becoming more difficult to use, there are actually some other techniques that uh, people have discussed in the past. Like this goes back to sort of 2018 uh, but uh, now it's sort of getting more steam because uh, it's sort of a replacement for macros, and it is these Visual Studio for Office uh, files, uh, mm. which is sort of a macro. Technically, it's more an add-in uh, to a Word document. What better than receiving a Word document that includes a binary add-in to Office? Uh I can use it every day, you know, when I'm writing reports and things like that. <laughs> Not right. really, but it's, yeah, every it's sort of every word feature. file needs an executable, right? Every word file needs an executable. <laughs> yes, and Daniel Skell uh, sort of uh, revived that a little bit and uh, wrote a blog about this recently in April, discussing uh, how to create these documents. As the name implies, you need Visual Studio, so it's a little bit more work than your standard uh, macro. But the tools are being developed now to make it easy enough for even an attacker is able to create those documents uh, pretty easily. Now, there are still some restrictions around these uh, these documents, like they have to be loaded from the right website, but that's all a matter of actually how you disguise the macro. Uh, not macro, I should say the add-in. Mm. Uh, and it has some interesting features, like, for example, automatic updates. Uh, where I can send you a little uh, document that may not really look all that malicious, but uh, it will update itself once you open it uh, and basically pull in additional code from a URL that I probably put up with some cloud provider or uh, mm. whatever kids these days like to uh, post their malware. Right. So a way to maybe bypass that, uh, you know, that, that first look uh, at, at the file itself. 
Craig, bypass that first look. Then the next uh, download will come from a source that you may even have whitelisted, like some um, uh, Office 365 uh, file share or some Google Cloud service, whatever uh, you may want to use here uh, to do deposit a file. It can really come from anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the users aren't yet at least uh, used to that kind of interaction. So it hasn't really sort of made it into our awareness training. The right now is of a time and this type of attack probably will work best because our defenses aren't ready for it yet. Is this the kind of thing where, similar to macros, that users can disable them by default? They're a little bit more difficult uh, to outright disable, uh, Hmm. but uh, typically you may see prompts, but that all depends on where you exactly download them from. If I manage to load a document into like a trusted file share or something like this, uh, then things are different. If you are saving it first to your local uh, disk, like if it arrives as an email attachment, uh, then again, different rules apply. So uh, there's something, I think it's still open to research exactly how to best defend against this mm. and uh, also what the exact warnings users will be seeing and when they'll be seeing it. I see. All right. Well, Johannes Ulrich, thanks for joining us. The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Be sure to check out this weekend's Research Saturday and my conversation with Symantec's Dick O'Brien. We're discussing Stonefly, North Korea linked spying operation continues to hit high value targets. That's Research Saturday. Check it out. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Rachel Galfin, Liz Irvin, Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karpf, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. here. At N2K CyberWire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network. That's why we're inviting you to participate in our 2024 audience survey. It only takes a few minutes and your feedback is invaluable. Plus, you'll have the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card as a thank you for your time. Head on over to cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to share your feedback now. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. 
Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.